All right, we are When Are We? Nick, explain the podcast to everybody and explain what we're getting into. Yes, this show is called When Are We? And on this show, we review films that all follow a common theme, which is our favorite genre of film, that is time travel. Now, Dave, uh, maybe you can say a little bit about what, I guess, uh, initially interested you in this topic for a podcast, time travel movies. I mean, as far as my love of time travel movies, I've always been a huge f- lover of time travel movies ever since um, back to, I think I could honestly say, I was thinking about this the other day, and I can honestly say I believe that Back to the Future is the most watched movie by me of all time, which I, I probably watched that movie more than any movie I've ever watched in my entire life. And it was like such an important part of my youth. Like it came mm-hmm. out, not only was Back to the Future like a gigantic movie, but also like the music, you know, and having Huey Lewis, like that was my favorite song for many years. That <laughs> <laughs> was the power of love. The power of love. It was huge. Oh, man. I mean, Back in Time is also a jam. Back so. in Time is also a jam. But the power of love, I think I bought that. Uh, it was one of the first tapes I've ever, I ever bought. And like, was it, I, was I, it the Back to the Future soundtrack? I think it was the Back to the Future soundtrack. Oh, like, yeah. And then I think eventually later I bought the CD of uh, sports. I think the boot was on, but I mean, Huey Lewis was, is, and was possibly one of my favorite jams of all time. Come on. But I <laughs> do is. think that um, going forward when we met, I think that also became an important part of our, our like history. We, we would, we would watch back to the future make Back to the Future remarks constantly, but also Terminator, which is why we started with Terminator Genesis as our first episode, which is funny because it's Genesis. But it's regardless, Genesis. that leads <laughs> us to here. I mean, what, what what would be your reason? Uh, you know, very similar. Back to the Future was one of these. I remember we had it on VHS, but it was not like an official VHS. My parents at some point had just recorded it off of cable. So I just had this very low quality VHS of Back to the Future, but I didn't know any better at that age. Right. So, you know, basically when I wanted to back watch Back to the Future, I'd have to get the tape out, fast forward it because there were actually two movies on because it was one of those like super long play tapes. So I think my dad had recorded this James Cagney film called Yankee Doodle Dandy, <laughs> whatever. I just not had to fast forward that through that nonsense and get straight to uh, Back to the Future, Marty McFly and his adventures. Yeah, uh, I think it was just the cleverness of the film, and it's just got so much comedy in it, and so many interesting ideas. Yeah, you know, and it's the so quotable. Stuff. It's so it was so quotable. You know, I think that always plays very out. quotable. All right, that leads us to the movie. Yes, uh, this today this week's movie is a little film called Synchronic. It's uh, is a 2019 film directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Uh, I'll have to say the directors of this were the reason that I picked it up on my Netflix queue and decided to give it a watch. I would say that their previous effort, The Endless, is also worth checking out. It's a really fun, cool little sci-fi drama. And if you're into things like cults, it's especially uh, especially a treat. first film or was that... I don't think it was their first film, but it was the last one that it was the first and last of theirs that I saw before Synchronic. Uh, they've also done some work, I believe, with the VHS series. They had right. an installment on VHS Viral, which I'll have to go back and see if I've actually watched that one because I've seen a number of the VHS installments. Not sure if it was that one, though. 
Yeah, it was only the first one that I saw, the very first VHS. And it did have, I think it came out right on the time where like people still had VHS tapes, you know? Right. So it was like, oh, this could be like a found, you know, film type of thing. And I liked the first VHS. So I will go back and watch VHS, his VHS. So that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, but uh, this movie uh, was initially released in 2019. Uh, it was going to be released in theaters in 2020. Unfortunately, it did not get a chance to really find an audience because it was released smack dab in the middle of the pandemic in October yeah. of 2020. It's so, you know, like, it's an interesting film in that like he they had they got uh, a Marvel superhero to be in it. Uh, Anthony Mackey and uh, like I think that would have uh, would have a, a big draw for a lot of people to get a Marvel superhero in it uh, but then the, you know you get in and you and it gets like really weird really fast so I don't know like how much <laughs> you know like how much attention it would hold held for that audience you know true I mean it's not exactly uh, there is no DeLorean there is no you know plutonium that you yeah. need to find there's no weird bubble that people come out of naked it's really a you know the 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 time travel mechanism is pretty mellow yeah uh in the sense that it we did say it before we started recording but we should say it again if you haven't seen it there will be spoilers so go watch it then come back and then you can listen we'll be right here waiting for you right here just put us on pause and go watch it (laughs) just don't don't you know press pause and never come back please right. stay come with back. us come back uh <laughs> yeah uh yeah anthony mackie was at first i thought i was sort of curious why he was in this little indie film uh it becomes a little bit clearer on through the film but you know i have to say his performance in general really carries this movie there yeah. are problems with some of the script and some problems with even some of the effects don't even always look great yeah. But his... some, of the, some of the ideas don't quite make sense. I found like some of the like the actual time travel things they get a little watery. <laughs> they get a little messy. Oh well, I'm really excited to hear what you think of that because sure. I actually thought some of the you know every time travel movie has to have its rules, so sure. to speak. Yeah, and a good chunk of this movie is about Anthony Mackie kind of figuring out what those rules are sure, definitely um, i have sound bites i have sound bites. oh you have sound bites great I um bites. i think also one of the unique things about this is unlike a lot of the other time travel movies we watch in this one you can only go backwards in time sure i mean we're always spiraling forward in time but in the sense that we're moving at the speed of time but there, I do want to point out, so the one thing that I really like to talk about with time travel movies is that there really are kind of three rules of time travel movies, and I have them here, so I will read them to you out loud. So the first is the fixed time. The fixed time is described as, even when parties travel back, into the, back in time, the future they left cannot be changed. All events remain as fixed points in time. The actions of the travel in the past have already become part of history. So like Terminator, you go back and everything kind of, whatever happened back, whatever happens, it all remains the same. It's a fixed timeline. There's no stopping judgment day. There's no stopping judgment day. The second one is dynamic travel. 
And that is altered events in the past have definite impacts on the present. So that would be like Back to the Future. He goes back, his parents don't get together, he never gets born. And then the third is the multiverse. And the multiverse is an infinite number of parallel universes traveling into the past causes a new divergent timeline from the first. The traveler can do anything with impunity and only the, the new timeline is altered, which is like sliders. One of my favorite shows. We could argue that Back to the Future also has the multiverse yes, because, you know, we all, as we all know. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about uh, Back to the Future is that they kind of delve on all of the all of them at some point. And they get really <laughs> muddy in all of the different. So does, well, it seems so does, it seems like each one kind of has its own uh, yeah. idea of of you know it's, each one has its own version. You know, yeah. in the first one, Marty goes back and changes the future. The second one, they make a whole alternate timeline. Yep. And then yep. in the third one, I guess I guess they they change the future yeah. as well. Like right. they don't call it that ravine anymore. Yeah, they don't call it the ravine. But then I also like. It is what it's always going to be. Like I think that's kind of the the message of from from Doc is that it is the 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 it is what you make of it, and it's always going to be that way. So they now, really do get into every one. That's really wild. <laughs> well, this one I think is really the first. It it, it yeah. really turn, comes around. And again, spoilers. Go watch it if you haven't. It all comes around where you can see that the actions from the past. Yeah, are present in the future, and we'll yeah. get to that um, in a little bit. I guess maybe we should just talk about the movie and give a little kind of plot summation. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. I could also. I have um, as we get into it, um, he, uh, Anthony Mackie kind of lays out as he finds out about them. Yes, he um, I think know. he kind of learns it as he does it. So he comes up with these rules of his own time travel within the movie, and I have audio bites for each of those, so that's fun. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, I guess I can just talk a little bit about the the premise, which is uh, Anthony Mackie, and uh, I should say Anthony Mackie, the Anthony the Snack Mackie. Uh, that man Mackie. is just so charming. Oh my yeah, gosh! So Anthony Mackie is Steve, and Jamie Dornan is Dennis. Uh, the two of them are besties who are paramedics in New Orleans, Nola. Uh, and you know, one day they're out on a call and they find a stabbing victim. Uh, they go to this drug house and they find this stabbing victim who's apparently been stabbed to death with a very ancient sword. Uh, the sword itself is also apparently kind of melted. It's kind of just, you know, destroyed in a certain way, but it's present there. And of course, you know, they're thinking they're just junkies, that uh, something crazy happened. They don't think too much of it, but they do find around the bodies a little package for a, a drug called Synchronic. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they kind of go on their way. Also, but, Maggie, his character finds that old ancient coin that was melted. Yes. Uh, one of the odd things is at the site, along with this ancient sword, there's an ancient coin, which has sort of uh, become disfigured, so to speak. It's it's melted a bit it almost looks like it was sort of pulled away yeah. uh, as it was as it was sort of traveling know, traveling something. so it's it's an odd it's an odd situation but you know 
I figure it's New Orleans. You see a lot of weird stuff in that yeah. town. So, so they I, probably I, didn't think much of it. I will start this off. I know we were, I say start this off when we're already like 15 minutes in, but I will say that I watched this days after I got back from a trip from New Orleans. So this was very, very exciting for me because I was like, I knew what they were talking about and where they were talking about and all that sort of stuff, which was really cool. So as we go through this, I probably will be like, telling you a couple stories of new orleans that i've learned that's great yeah uh, i mean i think they use the uh location pretty well they have some nice shots of new orleans they all sort of throw the history of the city into it mm-hmm. quite a few points they which do. i thought was cool um but anyway uh after the initial discovery of this drug and some dead bodies Uh, Steve and Dennis, they continue to find more and more odd situations where people are either injured or dead because of this drug called Synchronic. At the same time, Steve, who's a bit of a wild one, uh, Steve, again, Anthony Mackie's character is a bit of a wild one, goes out all night, loves to party. Um, You definitely find your your, uh, classic like uh, scene at a strip club, you know? Yeah. I just noticed a lot of people are just like, maybe it's a New Orleans thing, but people are just constantly walking around in this movie with bottles of booze. Oh, yeah, that's a big that New Orleans thing. Drinking straight from it. And I was just like, I love it. It's great. Yeah, that is very New Orleans. And I was actually <laughs> very shocked at how, like, you walk down the street and there's like, they have, it was kind of reminiscent of like when the pandemic just kicked in and people, you would walk down the street and there would be like a bar with a with a window set up and you could just go mm-hmm. up to that window and you could buy a, buy a beer or whatever and then just keep going. But New Orleans has that all year round, all the time. Uh, yeah, they have that uh, that just open drinking, open container law. That's great. It's, it's, oh, wow. it's so much fun. <laughs> um, anyway, though, Steve's life of leisure comes to a crashing halt when he is accidentally diagnosed with a brain tumor. The brain tumor is affecting what is known as the pineal gland, pineal mm-hmm. gland. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Uh, but basically it's a, it's a part of your brain that normally as you get older will calcify. However, Steve's is much like, despite being an adult, is much like that of a teenager. Uh, and therefore the, it has not calcified. So he essentially has part of his brain is like that of an adolescent. Did you by chance look in to see if that science is, is correct? I did, I, I did not, but I'm guessing that, you know, knowing these directors, uh, it's, it's probably, you know, something they researched and either fibbed a little bit. Um, I believe what I'm reading now is the pineal gland uh, produces melatonin. Oh. So it helps to, you know, kind modulate you your sleep patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff, huh? That is cool stuff. So anyway, that is that is I mean, you could tell while you're watching that moment when he's talking about the pineal glands um, that that's going to be a foreshadow to something. To something. Like, yes, yeah, to something. You don't know what quite exactly, but then <laughs> eventually it does. Well, yes. I mean, what I can say is that Steve uh, realizing that there is this pattern of death surrounding this designer drug. And when I say a designer drug, I mean, like a K2, a spice one of these, you know, barely legal substances that right. they sell in head shops that are effectively just a drug, uh, an illegal drug that's chemistry is adjusted just so slightly so that it can be considered legal. Right. So he goes around, he tries to find all of the, uh, all of these drugs. He finds out it's been discontinued. He just starts buying up all of the stock. 
Uh, Meanwhile, another person is very interested in buying up all the synchronic in the area. And Dave, if you want to take it over to that part. At that point, he goes back to his house and then finds him, this guy in his closet, which was very interesting that this, this guy just ended up in his closet and then tries to explain before he gets a bat to the head of what he's doing there. I make synthetic drugs. Um, what I would do is uh, create new drugs, very similar to illegal drugs, but the molecules just different enough to be legal. I know what designer drugs are. The FDA finally cracked down on every variant we could come up with, so we rushed out to market with what was meant to be a DMT-like drug that we synthesized from a red flower that only grows in a very isolated region of the, the, the California desert. Can I use the back of this? where he's doing his little drawing, right? How time works. My mother recently passed away. I know how hard it is. Condolences. Oh, it's me. I have a a tumor on my pineal gland. Sorry to hear that. But actually, I'm... Synchronic (laughs) messes with the pineal. So you experience time as it actually is, rather than the linear, um, the one event after another way that we normally experience it, it, it... Okay, um... uh, Very convenient. You drop the needle (laughs) on the song you want to play, but they're all always there. These tracks are like time. Synchronic is the needle. Yeah, as an avid re- record collector, I thought that was a great little metaphor. Yeah. And, 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 and I will say a very great way of kind of describing the mechanics of what's yeah. happening. Definitely. And using, and I feel like everyone try, you know, in, in any kind of time travel movie, they tried to give you their definition of like how we can relate this to the common man, you know? And using a record is very interesting. Um, and But it also kind of goes back to the uh, fixed timeline thing, right? So that the fixed timeline is the record. You cannot go outside of this record. Every song is on this record. Every date, everything that ever happened is on this record. And the the needle is just the drug that can put you there, right? So that's the yes. idea of what we're dealing with with this time travel movie. Yes. Uh, and it should be noted that the pineal gland, as we mentioned, it calcifies as you get older. Mm-hmm. So it's really only young people who seem to experience this time shift. Right. Older people, they kind of look more like ghosts in the uh, when they try to time travel. They sort of don't really fully get to their destination on the record, so to speak. Uh, Steve, he figures out this drug is causing people to travel through time, sometimes never to come back, or if they do... They find themselves missing a limb or stabbed or bitten by a prehistoric snake. Yep. All kinds of funny, funky, funky things happening to these uh, these weekend warriors. Who I just, just looked you know, up. Wanted, they just wanted a little trip, man. They just, just wanted, wanted a, a good time. I get it. I get it. This is this is a this movie is a great like drug legalization message. It definitely you know? is. Like, they definitely got into deep, deep like like this was a fun trip. And I was actually watching um, before we got on. On their uh, Instagram, they have a lot of um, clips 
of um, like what we used to call on, on DVD, the DVD extras. They're doing a lot oh. of commentary clips of, of what they're talking about. And uh, they talk about how they had for a longest time uh, what they called a uh, crush on this production or uh, effects company. And the effects company that did all these effects was the same company that did like Fight Club. So like, oh, very cool, yeah. Yeah. So there was like a whole bunch of like historical, like cool movies that this company did that uh, they really loved and brought it up to time. But real quick, I just looked up what causes calcification in the pineal gland, right? So yeah. what they're saying online is uh, fluoride from water and pesticides. So it might not be age, but more so what we put into our body that calcifies it. So essentially, if you lived such a pure life. Maybe it wouldn't be such a calcification. Well, we know Steve isn't doing that because he. No. Uh, there's literally a scene where he uh, gets accidentally stuck by a needle. So, of course, he'd go to have a blood test. Ugh. And the nurse is like, don't worry. We won't pay attention to the weed and coke in your system. So don't worry. I don't think Steve's drinking filtered water. We'll say that no, much. No. Uh, anyway, so uh, in the midst of this mystery, all of a sudden, Dennis, his best friend's elder daughter goes missing after going to a drug party and oops she took the synchronic mm-hmm. who would have thought this would have happened so steve obviously uh starts to experiment with the synchronic uh and he ends, finds himself traveling back in time to very different places and you know steve is uh a bit like a he's a bit of a sort of amateur physicist i think as he calls himself he does so like a scientist i will say he does these experiments, which he records, and uh-huh. he, you know, he writes it down. It's, it's, you know, it's the difference between fucking around and science yeah. is just you got to write it down. So he, you know, he comes up with a theory of how it works, which is that where you go in time is entirely based on your physical location. Yes. So you're standing on one side of the room, you're going to go to, you know, the Paleolithic period. You're sitting on the couch. You're going to end up in, a you know, swamp of the eighteen. Early- you know, the the yeah, swamp and the conquistador comes yeah. after you. Um, um, so there's really not a lot of good. You can't really pinpoint where you're going to go. There's right. no map to tell you, hey, stand in this location and you'll right. be transported back to the 1970s. Stand here and hey, you'll go back to medieval times. Which is where I kind of found the problem in the the time travel in, in and of itself, because like. Um, if we learned anything from like um, uh, Simpsons, it's like when you go back in time, you don't know where you're going to go, but just don't touch anything. But anyway, the one thing that um, bothered me was like, if I sat here, I would go somewhere else. But what if I moved an inch to the left? Would that affect where I went? And I think that didn't really have too much of an effect. Like if you were in a general area, you're going to go to a general time. And that kind of like was a general theme of this whole thing. If I'm way over there, I'm going to go to another time. But if I'm in this general area, it's going to be that time. Well, I think that actually fits really well with the record analogy, because if you think about it, you drop a needle on a certain place and it plays a certain song. Now, if you right. move that needle only slightly, you're going to stay on that same song. Right. Just in a different place. In a different place of that song. Okay. Now, if you go wildly over, sure. you're going to end up in a completely different song. Right. So I think moving an inch to the left would maybe send you to the same place, maybe five or 10 minutes later. I don't know. Right. Or maybe maybe a a different location of like a mile away. So time and space have no relevance here. But I think I think the assumption is, though, that when you go back in time, no matter where you go to, 
you're still going to be in the same physical location. Right. Okay. You're going to be in the same physical location, different time. Just a so different time. But where means. you start, right. the physical location you start dictates when you're going to go back. When. Okay. So then he comes back. And then at this, this point, he starts to figure it out. And this is his rule. He starts coming up with rules of his time travel. And this yes. is rule number one. Uh, if you're watching this, I'm probably trying to convince you of something that's pretty unbelievable or I'm dead. Uh, this, this, this is a time travel pill. It allows you to go back in time for about seven minutes. I know it sounds brain damage, orangutan, fucking crazy, but I was... I was just back in time. In this exact geographical location. Before it was all pumped out and it was still swampland. Another observation. Things that touch you while on the drug seem to be a little distorted. My best friend, Dennis Danley, who's probably watching this if I'm dead. His daughter, Brianna, took it and she disappeared. So hopefully with these experiments, I'll learn a way to bring her back. So there's the movie. That's the, the setup, really. Yeah, I think that's a good sort of uh, overall. I mean, that's one of the things I do like about this movie is they they kind of cut to the the nitty gritty of the time travel mechanics in a very kind of quick, clean way. Does it make perfect sense? Of course not. But this is a time travel movie. It's time travel. <laughs> None of it time makes travel. sense. None of it. Makes. Uh, <laughs> I will say, so, I, I, I started thinking about um, this as a time travel movie. And the more I started, this is after. So, like, I did not have this thought while I was watching it. I did not have this thought immediately after. But as I started, like, thinking about it more and more, I was kind of putting two and two together. And, like, I'd like to hear your take on this. And I kind of felt that it started to become not a time travel movie, but a fucking with the virtual reality. So, like, so, like, as you as this drug, so like think of it as like the Matrix, right? You take this drug, you take that red pill, and then you start seeing life for what it really is. And if we're living in a virtual reality, things start to change, and we actually start to see things for what they really are, and then we can go wherever we want. So that's uh, where I started to become. That's where I started to go with it. Again, I did not have this thought while I was watching it. I did not have this thought immediately right after. But the more I started thinking about it, the more I started putting two two together of having like this drug that can like alter your visions, but maybe it makes you see clearer. And if we are living in a virtual reality, if this movie is in a virtual reality, then you can alter that virtual reality however you would want. Uh, I sort of agree with you. I think. More succinctly, what I would say is there's a there's a scene very early on in the movie when uh, Steve and Dennis are at their first, you know, 911 call. It's this house of druggies and some of them took the synchronic, some took the heroin. Mm-hmm. They're just having a big old drug party. But uh, one of them has spray painted on the wall some graffiti that says time is a lie. Time is a lie. 
So I think that is in some ways what you're getting at. Sure. This idea that that time is not a, a fixed thing that we're just constantly going on this one linear path, you know, with the right chemist, you could just find yourself able to travel whenever, wherever. Whenever, wherever, right. Yeah, and I and I definitely think like the more you kind of investigate this movie, they were definitely not thinking virtual reality alter altercation. But um, <laughs> it just kind of like was interesting the way that the the actual um, the way that the CGI worked, where it was very digital. It was a very digital feel when you went from one time to another, which made me think like, okay, so we're getting this change in scene. And it's kind of dissolving and then kind of reappearing as another scene, you know, as, as one is fades into another, it kind of had this kind of virtual feel to it more so than, than like an actual time travel feel. I'm just going to, I'm going to chalk that up to just maybe a lower VFX budget. Um, although again, I, again, I think that some of the effects and the set pieces, a lot of the set pieces, especially at that, that end part when they're in the middle of the War of 1812, I thought was really fantastic. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, that was a well done, well yeah. shot, good production design on that. Uh, I think, you know, one of the, the big themes that I noticed, and I actually have seen this movie twice now. I watched it weeks and weeks ago, I think more than a month ago, uh-huh. and I told you to watch it, and then I rewatched it just to get myself re-familiar with it. There is this idea that Steve touches on more than once. And I think it's one of these, it's almost a joke, but it's also really sad is this idea of like, yeah, traveling back in time is really great if you're a white man. Very much so. Steve at every step of the way seems to be also confronting this this sense of uh, this otherness, this sense of, you know, the, there's, you know, just dealing with consistently very ra- a very racist society sure. at most of the points that he goes through. I mean, obviously, Especially in New Orleans. Sore, well, he's in New Orleans. That's the, yeah. that's the interesting part. You know, yeah. he goes back several times to points in history where, you know, at one point he's, he's, he comes across a group of what I can only presume to be slaves who are involved in some sort of religious ceremony. Right. He uh, travels back in time to the 1920s where he's being chased by the Ku Klux Klan. Yep. Um, but, you know, at the same time, in the world that he starts in, there's a lot of racism. Oh, yeah. That's oh. just very open. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cops that he works with are just yeah. blazingly racist yeah. to him even yeah to him. uh you know i think there's this the very first scene again when they're at this drug overdose uh steve you know he's been out with a lady and he accidentally puts on her uh uniform from work and it's just a like a new orleans saints uh jersey yeah when the cop confuses him for uh, an intruder and he says something like well if you dress like walking around dressing like tupac he calls him tupac tupac you're going to get shot, you know, uh, it's this, you know, and it's, there's all these little sort of notes, you know, there's a scene where he's hanging out with Dennis and his, his wife and he's holding Dennis's newborn child. And he jokes, the child starts crying. He says, ah, racist baby. Uh, but he, yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he starts as he, as he starts going back in time, he, I mean, there's actually this, there's a lot of 
Back to the Future references in this movie, I noticed. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a clip that kind of engulf, engulfs all of what you're saying here. And it okay. of, it's, it's fun. So I'm going to play that, then we can get back into it. But a lot Go of the racist it. stuff, kind of like, I saw it when I was down there. It was very interesting in New Orleans. Here we go. Marty and Doc are stuck in the Rocket 50. The fuck Back to the Future. Pass was hey. Trying to make it look all cozy and shit. Best part about the fat pass was the music with your, your boy in there. You trying to rock out to Chuck Berry. I tried that there. Put me in jail or, or worse. Exactly. So he gets it. I, I really like that scene because he's 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 at the, his wits end and he's just drinking a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> he's in a bar and in the bar they're watching Back to the Future. <laughs> so that's what you can hear in the background or they're not watching back to the future but they're watching like some special on back to the future and the, it start that clip starts with um uh, uh doc and morty marty are are uh, rocking out in the rocking 50s <laughs> that's where he's very very obviously uh you know very obviously they couldn't get the rights to actually play some of back to the future although right. i think they could have argued fair use yeah, definitely. But, um, I don't know. So the uh, other, yeah, another really quick thing, and like I, the, I almost tapped out for for a minute on this movie, <laughs> and and I'll tell you why. And this has nothing to do with anything except for a few things. Was the second time he goes, or the few times he goes back into the past, he brings his dog. His dog, yes, his dog, which Who, is named yes, Hawking. Hawking. Not and Einstein. Looks, not Einstein, but he sure looks like Einstein. Yeah. He's a white, fluffyish dog. But they they really they rocked my soul when they they did uh, they did not have poor poor Hawking come back. That really <laughs> I was almost like I'm out. I'm out. I can't do this. <laughs> poor dog stuck forever in the racist 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the uh, I I don't want to really call too much attention to like New Orleans as a whole, but there there is like a wild uh, race gap in New Orleans, and like when you're in the French Quarter, it's like mostly white, and then you go out of the French Quarter, and it's mostly black, and like a lot of those areas were so affected by by uh, Katrina that they just did not get funding, so they're still living with the ramifications of Katrina, like their, their houses are still like up on cinder blocks, their houses, you know, like you would walk down the street and you would see a house on cinder blocks where people are living. And then the next three houses are just abandoned. And then another house was just like, you could see this, the segregation down there. It's like, it's wild. That's all I'll say about it. It's wild. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I went to new Orleans, I want to say about two or three years after Katrina and it was the same thing. I mean, there was just, it almost looked like it had happened two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, there was so many buildings that were still spray painted with like, you know, saying like found a dead body here. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a tragedy obviously that it's still this, this thing that still permeates, you know, the whole, almost, yeah, the whole, almost 20 years the later, whole city, uh, the whole city. Yeah. It's really wild. Um, but I didn't mean to throw us off. <laughs> oh no, I think I think it's important. I think because yeah. this film does try to tackle those, maybe in the not, maybe not in the most uh, graceful way. Yeah. But you know, I think it is a, a theme that's kind of going through the film, which is like, and you know, it's true of a lot of you know good uh, 
time travel movies that deal with the past specifically yeah. is maybe facing up to some of these uh, historical realities. Yeah, and that... all through the eyes of, I'll call him Anthony the Snacky Mackey. <laughs> Snacky Mackey. Anthony, if you're listening, call me, please. <laughs> He's married, Anthony. <laughs> I know, but I mean, come on. Do you see Falcon and Winter Soldier? Come I, on. I should know. I, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that one, but I've seen a lot of other things he's in and he's great he's a great actor he's great and he's a snacky mackey he's a snacky mackey yeah Mm -mm -mm. so yes (laughs) i think that that leads us to the 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 second um the second tip that that our character gives us which i believe is when he lost his dog which is again so heartbreaking i almost i almost tapped out oh no i was like ah man And, and and you know i've i've only gotten a dog in the past like two years Yes. So, like, my my affections for dog has risen a lot in, in, in my later life. So, like, really, really got me. So, here's the second tip from Anthony the Snacky Mackey. The past fucking sucks, man. And observation two. The exact place where you are when the drug kicks in determines the time you go back to. For example. This spot took me to the Ice Age twice. This spot took me to the swamp. Dick-ass conquistador. And also leaves the question. If this door works both ways, how did Brianna get stuck back in time? How did Brianna get stuck back in time? She didn't go back to her. uh, She wandered away. She wandered away from her her starting place. Yeah, and she didn't. Because that's the other thing that I think they don't really communicate as clearly is that in order to get back to the present, you need to be in the same place that you started. Right. Uh, And you've only got about seven minutes to go fuck around and find out about the past, you know? Right. And which leads me to to, to believe that, like, if this were a real setting, a real real situation, 99.9% of the people wouldn't come back because... Nobody would know that they have to be in the same spot that they they left at that same exact moment. So, like, the fact that he actually came back and understood that was a little far-fetched for me. That, uh, I'm just going to get into some of the issues I had with the movie. And that was one of them where, like, how did he figure out that it was seven minutes? How did he figure out that he needed to be in the same spot that he went to at that moment? And then I think when he figured it out was was with the dog because the dog didn't make it back to that spot. But he figured he went back in time a bunch of different times and made it back fine each of those times. I think in all of those instances, though, he was so confused about what was going on that he didn't really dare to you know, explore much. I mean, the first time he's in a swamp and an alligator chases him down and then this conquistador he calls him conquistador motherfucker or whatever comes and tries to kill him and he happens to jump back right on time the second time he's transported to the paleolithic era where he almost freezes to death uh yeah and then figures that he should go back prepared a little bit more prepared with the wood and you here's my question to you and this is something that i thought when i watched the movie if 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 this movie does follow one of the principles of time travel and whatever we do in the uh, go back and do in the past will will have some effect on the present did he invent fire i thought about that too yeah 
I think we can maybe assume one of, we can assume one of two things. One, that yes, he showed this caveman who he befriended, sort of. I mean, the caveman, to be fair, was the nicest of all the people who yeah. went back, you know, that he met. You know, he didn't call him, you know, he didn't seem to hate him because of his race. He was actually very thankful to have that fire yeah. that Snacky had made for him. But <laughs> but yeah, he, I mean, the, he probably would have killed him in any, all, all any other situation, but he did not. And he started mm. a fire and allegedly, I mean, <laughs> assuming he probably showed this caveman how to start a fire. So did he, he did, he didn't fire? have the time nor the, the, the no, he verbiage. had seven minutes, but he I had mean, seven minutes. If this caveman watched him make a fire, like maybe he figured out like whatever I, it is going to be rocks. <laughs> There's two possibilities. One. Yes, you're right. Uh, he somehow showed this caveman how to control fire and this caveman therefore became the you know spread that information to his little caveman buddies and they all started you know the first steps towards civilization that doesn't quite sit well with me because as we all most of us know from history class early civilization really began you know somewhere else on the yeah. planet right not um not in africa world. Right. Not New Orleans, not, not quite yet. <laughs> it was definitely, it was definitely started in Africa uh, and not New Orleans. Not, not to New say Orleans. that there isn't wonderful culture and civilization in New sure, Orleans. Sure, it's a great but city. There, there, there was no, probably no cavemen in, in New Orleans. And if they were, I mean, I think the world would have been in like Pangea at that. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. You know, actually, I really should yeah. talk on this. Maybe we need to get like a, a paleontologist or something on the show to, to walk us through. These are things we're learning. When we get down this part, maybe next time we'll uh, we'll get some experts in here to really help us with time, because we do need <laughs> we need a lot of experts in time to help us understand time travel movies. And yes, I, I think that's right. The past fucking sucks, man. Exactly, Anthony. Exactly. <laughs> past fucking sucks. I mean, this is true of a lot of people, though. They, you know. Yeah. You weren't straight white male. Like, why would you want to ever go any place but now? Right. Yeah. You know exactly. Like, and yeah, if you're a straight white male, and like any other, like if you're a woman, terrible. If you were, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, any person of color, terrible. If you uh, gay, be terrible. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. they wouldn't be able to tell right away. So you'd have you'd have that going for you for a minute. You, you'd be able to slip by maybe if right. you could, or maybe you'll just be considered, you know, a fop or a, a, a pansy boy or something. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, definitely. I think if we went back in time, we have our hair long and they'd be like, oh, mm. boy. No, those guys. Those guys. Sodomites, both of them. Exactly. <laughs> um, so where does that leave us? I do have a clip and I kind of I think I jumped ahead with the other clip I had. Uh, uh -huh. I love the clip of the dog time travel and when he learns from that. He is really broken up in that scene too. He's no, just like, he, he has to do multiple takes I to get too, that. I almost that. tapped out. I'm telling you, <laughs> like when there's a movie that affects a dog or a child, it gets right on that edge for me, right on that edge. And I'm just like, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not. It sucks, man. <laughs> I think that's going to be a regular, a regular uh, uh, clip that we play. Yes. <laughs> okay, so here it is, observation three with uh, the dog. So I'm going to play this, and then we can get more into that. Mm -hmm. Observation three. Don't. No, he's breaking up. Don't be. Oh. Shit. Can't do it. Don't be late. 
So it seems you have to be touching whatever you bring back, like quantum mixing or something. Hawking hat on his collar, so... It's chaotic how much of anything comes back safely. Either way, there aren't enough pills for me to go back and find Hawking. And if you're late, don't be late. Don't be late. Don't I be like late. that was a convenient one because, like, he it was a it was a convenient way of saying like, okay, these are how the rules work in this movie, and like he really it does it pretty late in the movie. I think this is like an hour something in, and we're we're learning more of the rules as as pretty late in the movie. So it was it was a, it was a lot of information. To learn that far deep into the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of my critiques of this is there's a lot of focus on Dennis, his friend, and his relation and Dennis's relationship with his wife and his elder daughter, Brianna. This is the one who goes missing after she parties a little too hard and ends up, you know, back in time, as we all do. Sure. You know, I've, I, I mean, I've woken up in you know the colonial period and it's not fun walk of shaming back to the present it's just ugh. you were you wig were actually, wig, wig between my legs you know you were actually you went as you were drinking in williamsburg in brooklyn and woke up somehow in williamsburg virginia so that's how Oof. that happened no dave, you dave, were we were, no dave we were just drunk and we showed up at the you know the the historical section uh -huh. we didn't actually go back in time that time oh okay. i know you think that but it's not yeah, what happened i do think that all right so getting into his his um uh dennis his partner i felt like there was a lot of um liberties taken with with his partner uh yeah. it was very interesting uh one thing that i learned was you remember the scene where they got into the big fight and they actually yes. crawled they're yes. in like a theme park like an abandoned theme park I don't know if you remember, but they're an abandoned theme park. And it, I think they were actually, they were at a call and there was a guy who had broken his leg. Yeah. And he was in the skeleton makeup and he was speaking Creole and, and drinking, yeah. as most everyone else does, drinking from a bottle. Yeah. They, they, there was a couple of things. Um, he, they kind of demonized um, voodoo a little bit, a little bit, which was a little far from me just coming back and learning a little bit more about voodoo. But the abandoned, uh, the abandoned theme park. It may not, not have been in that scene, but it was in a scene where they go and they're dealing with uh, some dead body at an abandoned theme park. Just on the outskirts of New Orleans, there was a Six Flags. That so when I went down there, we went on a um, a swamp tour. So we got a bus from New Orleans French Quarter out to the swamps, and on the way. Our bus driver, whose nickname was Bam Bam, and <laughs> Bam Bam was awesome. Bam Bam, Bam was Bam. a little, little dude. And as we passed by it, he goes, that's the Six Flags that got shut down after Katrina. And I used to spend all every weekend there. So there was an abandoned Six Flags, Great Adventure, or no, that's the whatever. Six Flags in New Orleans that they used as one of their scenes, which was really cool because I recognized it and I knew what it was. 
it's a it's a nice little set piece. Uh, they again, I think they really used uh, New Orleans as a as a good character. Um, yeah. There's also a there's a whole plot point involving again. This is where Dennis, I think, just at one point stops becoming a character we're supposed to be invested in and just becomes sort of a a, a vehicle to move the plot along yeah. because you know of course it has to be his daughter mm-hmm. who accidentally trips out and right. goes back in time. And he becomes a hero for his partner. Uh, Anthony Mackie. Snacky, Mackie. Snacky does. Yes, Snacky he does. becomes he becomes the hero. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think that they, you know, with Dennis and his whole complications with his wife, it's a little underwritten. Yeah, you don't really care if they stay together. All you really care about, I mean, he seems like kind of a terrible husband in the first place. Like he doesn't totally. seem to appreciate. And I think I think Snacky says it at one point. He's like, "You're always just, you know, complaining about your wife to- and your kid. You don't understand. I'm this." bachelor and it seems like i'm james bond but i'm actually very sad and lonely yeah (laughs) and i think they played that up a lot and maybe to an excess like where like they made him out to be this this lone uh aging bachelor and then this this um husband who hates his life and what's become of it sort of thing but i i think you were going somewhere with that so i'm gonna let you keep going i was gonna say i mean i think that the the character of dennis just it 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 needed a bit more, yes. you know. We needed a bit more, which of leads that. me to this next clip that I got. It's the last clip I got, except for the pass. Fucking sucks, man. Exactly, snacky. <laughs> but the um the the next clip I have, and it's the last clip. So so you're welcome. Um, is is a part that kind of like it was a scene that they I feel like they directed it to to be have a lot of weight. And like understanding of the story and the characters, but it, it, I don't understand where it came. It came out of nowhere and really didn't have much going on. But Dennis kind of lays up this whole thing about how Mackie's his story came to be, um, and and uh, here it is. There's something I never told you during the Katrina cleanup. Steve got this call and um, a few coffins had been ripped out of Lafayette's cemetery and ended up in some garden district yard. And a cleanup worker traced some of the serial numbers back to Steve. Two of them were his parents and one was his little sister, Dana. So there's a lot, a lot of things in that one one bite that really had me going. Um, it's a lot of character development. A lot for, of character development for, for, for Steve in right. that one little anecdote. It's not the worst. No, it's, no, it could have been done a little better. But I think actually, it it actually connects the movie really well because I think you know when he first gets his cancer diagnosis, the doctor, his doctor, gives him this pamphlet like, "Hey, here's some th- you know support groups. Here's." Yeah. Of the therapies, and he gives him this last one. It's like, how do you tell your loved ones? Right. And you get this set, and he doesn't have any. The only family he has is Dennis and his family. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's funny because Dennis talks about in that scene how, you know, even though this was Steve's family, their bodies had been desecrated and and you know dug up or you know floated up or whatever. Uh, but the, the sister's coffin had been desecrated by a looter, which is awful. Right. But in that moment, 
Steve was more concerned about Dennis than he was about the remains of his family. Mm-hmm. And all that Dennis could think about was, oh my God, his sister is, her body is laying there and it's been desecrated. Right. Which is, you know, and then it's kind of the, the, the same parallel where, you know, Steve really decides what matters is for him to save Brianna. He doesn't care about himself. Right. Because if I remember at one point, he chooses to stop his radiation treatments. To be able to do this. To be able to do it. Right. So I think, you know, they do kind of have, it sets up something a little farther down. It's a bit messy and it's easy to get lost. Right. They put but a I lot think of they're weight trying. into it. They are trying. They put a lot of weight into that scene. Like the way he comes in is like, there's something I've never told you. And it's like, <laughs> it's so weighty. Um, but um, so... I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to preface, preface this with, I did, I don't know all there is to know about all the cemeteries down there, but Mm -hmm. I did go on a cemetery tour when I was down there. So I learned a lot. So I went on a cemetery tour of Lafayette. Uh, There are multiple Lafayette cemeteries, so I don't know which one it is. And then another preface is, do you know anything about Lafayette, the actual person? I learned. Uh, You'll have to educate me. So Lafayette was this general from the Civil War, I believe. I'm going to say that. I think he was a general from the Civil War um, who, I wish I remember exactly what war he was, but regardless, from a really long time ago. And then in his later years, he was one of the only generals who was still around. And the, the U.S. government was like, this guy's still around? That's amazing. So they started touring him around America and everywhere he went, everyone was like, this great general's here from, you know, like ancient times that we don't even know anymore. Let's honor him with naming something after him. So that's how we got so many different Lafayettes, Lafayette Square, Lafayette College, Lafayette. So like all of these places were named after this guy because in his late life, he started doing tours based on something he did when he was younger, which is really fascinating to me. Was it James Armistead Lafayette? He was a, uh, an, uh, an enslaved African-American who served yeah. the Continental Army during the American Revolutionary War. Maybe. Under the name Marquis de Lafayette. Yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy. Okay, so yeah, he was, uh, he was a, 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 a former slave turned double agent during the American Revolution. And then in his late life, they toured him around and named after all these things after him. But going back to the cemetery <laughs> stuff, um, I don't know how much homework they did on the whole cemetery um, building of, 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 of uh, New Orleans. But one thing I, I learned a bunch about the cemeteries, which I found probably the most one of the lightning things I found when I was down in New Orleans is obviously New Orleans is like a bull. And the middle of it is like you're in, you're underwater, you're under the sea level. And then the, the levees are what's built up around it to keep it out from sinking, right? So you dig two feet underground and you hit water. So there are no cemeteries that have dug, dug down uh, coffins. There's just, they just don't have that. So right. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, you know above ground yeah right so the idea that there were these coffins that one was a little too far-fetched for me but when I, the other thing that i found out is how they um bury their dead which 
I'm kind of leaning on this way. I think about my mortality a lot. So basically what happens is you die, right? Terrible thing. You're dead. And they have a funeral for you, and they have what's called the first line and the second line, which I think a lot of people have heard of. The first I love line, the second line. Yeah, so everyone loves the second line. So the first line is like the family, right? The second line is like the party that follows the family to the bars they go to afterwards and the party that happens because it's more celebratory. But what happens is you go to the cemetery, and they have these, these above-ground kind of tombs. And these tombs all have a door on it. And all these tombs are uh, either you, you own one with like a family or, or a group. Or um, you kind of get put in one if, if you're kind of part of another group. So there was a, uh, an Italian tomb that was gigantic. Right. So like if you're Italian, part of the Italian group, you get put into this tomb. There was a, a musician who uh, dedicated his tomb to other uh, musicians who didn't have any money to get buried. So his tomb became like this open source tomb for musicians, which is very cool. So what happens is they take the cover off this, the door off. Right. And your body gets put into a wooden box, a small wooden box, and they put you in. And they wait one year and one day because they don't want to do it on the day you died. So they wait one year, one day. They open that door back up. They take that box and they tip it and they put your body, all your remains, into the tomb on the bottom where all the remains of everyone else who went into that tomb go. So, so just like your bones or like so basically what happens is they also talk about in like the summer of like in the August time, it gets so hot that that tombs act as natural incinerators. So your body in this box just starts to decay really fast and starts to burn up really quick. And it just decays down to just bones and ashes pretty quick over a year. And then what's left, they dump out into the bottom of the tomb where all the other people are who were entombed into this tomb. And I like the sound of this. The, and then they take the box out, and then it's ready for the next person who's going in. This is this is some, this is some poltergeist, uh, you know, you move the headstones, you didn't move the bodies right. nonsense going on yeah. here. So, like, the, the I think the, I don't remember the exact number, but there was this giant Italian tomb where all the people who were a part of the Italian-American clubs or whatever get put in, and they said there, there was, like, I can't remember, like 10,000 bodies in this one tomb. So that's how they deal with space and then not burying people, which is very fascinating on how that works. Yeah. So then are we to presume, because he comes across the bodies of his parents and his little sister. Right. Are we to presume they're in their one year? I guess so. I mean, they are in like very get... small pine boxes, which would yes, yes. kind of add up to that. So I guess it would presume that it did happen within the year, but um, I don't really know. Like again, I don't know the, the 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 math or the science that they thought about doing this. And I will say that I I had uh, jumped into both of the directors' DMs and asked them if they wanted to come on the show to no response. But this oh. would be a good, a good question for them to have if if we they did yeah. Well, let's send this to them and see if they'll answer anything. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, 
so I think we can get back to, I just want to finish up talking about the, yes, I didn't the story mean to itself. Us, but I found that oh, no. super fascinating because I never knew it. The other last thing I'll say about it is, so we're walking around the cemetery and this guy's giving us a tour and there's this giant, you might've seen it on my Instagram. I posted it. There's this giant um, pyramid tomb, right? And on the pyramid tomb, there is a slot for the name and all these other tombs have names on them, right? And old names, family names that go back forever for like 100 years. And there's no name on this thing. And he's like, so we look at this tomb here, and this name slot is empty. So a lot of the times, people don't have the money to, to ha pay someone to make the slab for this. Uh, and then in some cases, they're just not dead yet. And this particular tomb was bought and built by Nicolas Cage, and it's his tomb in the middle of Lafayette Cemetery I in the middle heard of about New Orleans, this. which is really fascinating. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, is, is he going for like a, uh, what is that, um, National Treasure kind of Probably. vibe for his burial? Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. getting back to Very the movie, good. I just wanted to get a little <laughs> history of New Orleans that I learned. A little about history. Now. Well, uh, I guess we can kind of finish up the, the, the plot, but basically, uh, you know, Steve, as we mentioned, has gone and bought out all the synchronic he can find. He can't make any more. We find out later the, the the chemist who had been trying to buy it himself uh, ends up committing suicide. So there's really just no chance of getting any more of the synchronic. And it serves like the cancer as well, sort of this ticking clock. You know, he's only got so many pills left to find Brianna. Uh, so, you know, he decides to try going and sitting where she was last seen right and going back in time however that doesn't work yeah. he ends up in the wrong time period wrong place yep no brianna to be found nope so he's trying to figure out where would she have gone where would she have gone and he figures out it's this rock where they had uh you see earlier in the film they're having like a picnic or something around this rock, rock foreshadowing yeah, a little along the side, along the along the river, they're having a little picnic party, and Brianna sits on this rock, and you see this carving in the rock that says "Always," A L L W A A Y S, not A L W A Y S, but A L. Always. Two different always. So you know, Steve figures well. She probably wandered off in her her trip to this rock. She, she lost that seven minutes. Well, she the thing is, I think she took it and she transported from that rock. But then not knowing she needed to be back to that rock in seven minutes, she right. wandered out. Now, to be fair. Always be on time. Well, always be on time. But to be fair, I understand why she ran away, because the time period she ended up in is the middle of the War of 1812 along the Mississippi River. So, you know. Steve deduces this. He goes back. He takes, he's got two more pills. He takes one of them. He goes back. And this is a great, I think this was actually a really, you know, well done scene where he's in the middle of these trenches and he's crawling over bodies and whatnot. And he, uh, he finds Brianna and she's yeah. sitting there in a trench. She's covered up in a little coat and she's freaked out, of course. Uh, but, you know, he gets her back to the rock. He gives her his last pill. And before they can go back, a looter comes upon them and thinks that Snacky is this runaway slave mm -hmm. and he's gonna he's gonna 
take him back to, you know, his master or whatever uh, we can presume. Yep. So, you know, it's all about Steve trying to distract this looter before uh, so Brianna can escape back to the present. Right. Uh, which I can also okay. assume that this was the Battle of New Orleans, which was Andrew Jackson's, his lead battle. Oh, okay. Yeah, but so, you know, Brianna makes it back to the present. Family's all happy. Steve, unfortunately... He, uh, he appears to them in this sort of ghost-like figure, which I have to presume what that means is that his, his cancer's gone. Well, I, 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 that's, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, I didn't read that. I didn't get that. Uh, but I did uh, have a problem with that ghostly image thing because I did it with, the, with Hawking as well, the dog. And... I kind of was like, how, what, what is your, what is your point here? What are you trying to tell us with this ghostly image? Well, they, they established that when the, the chemist is doing his little sketch and he explains why the pineal gland of the, of the children. Oh, excuse me. He explains why the pineal gland allows for children to fully go back and forth, but with adults, it can't. And Steve's cancer is what is allowing him to move back and forth. Mm. It's that tumor that's keeping his pineal gland from being calcified. Right. But why so, the ghostly image? Where because that's what they that's what it looks like if you have that if you have that calcified pineal gland. You don't go all the way back. You only appear as like an image. An image. So the dog also had that. Well, the dog we can presume was a little older and its right. pineal gland probably calcified. Calcified or it just didn't make it back in time. Right. But, you know, Steve appears ghost-like and we realize because first Steve says uh, to Brianna when he's when he's in the Battle of 1812, he says uh, the War of 1812, he says, oh, thank you for writing that on the rock. And she's like, what? I don't I don't know what you mean. I didn't carve anything to a rock. And he realized it was Steve who did it. He gave himself the note from the future or from the past, I guess, to the future. Right to the future. Which but I'm going, saying is yeah. that he doesn't, he could have probably gone back if his cancer was still raging. Right. So I think that he, by, by, you know, Not doing saving those. her, but also kind of saving, you know, he, he saves himself in the sense that he, he gets rid of the cancer, but he's just unfortunately stuck in a he's stuck in very the- bad time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't, him. I don't foresee him making it much further in his, uh, in, in that no, time. That's really unfortunate. Yeah. But I mean, he doesn't make the ultimate sacrifice, you know, and which is very interesting. You have this character who's just like sad and never comes back from sad. And, and then just, <laughs> you know, like he has, he has a redeeming quality of saving a girl, but like he never, he never he never comes out on the other end like this happy, wonderful, changed person. He just ends up stuck in time. Well, I think there's also, you know, there is this recurring theme about time being meaningless. Mm. Don't trust time. And I think and I think the idea, well, you know, he talks about it with uh, Steve, who talks about a quote from Albert Einstein where Einstein talks about time being meaningless when we're faced with death. And I think for, for Steve, he's dealing with that, you know, he's facing death. Time becomes meaningless. Yeah. And the, the, the concept of scrawling always, which is uh, I think that is 
I guess supposed to be symbolic of him always being there through all time for these people. Uh, but his, in his, all his adopted family, I guess. But in his chosen family. In every way, also it means mm-hmm. like all ways, and and you be able to go all the way, all all directions, so to speak. It had a lot of different uh, uh, different meanings. Uh, real quick, also, did you see that there, there was an article about uh, they might have come up with um, uh, an actual scientific um, way that when you're dying, your brain actually does recall a lot of images mm. from your past. Like the, 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 there's actually science now that proves that they're, they're, when you die, your your brain does something with the past, which is very interesting. Maybe we'll get into that in another episode. I actually have thoughts on that, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we went over the movie. I don't know. What else do you think about this? I mean, I again, I don't know if this was a perfect film. I'm a big fan, though, of Benson and Moorhead as filmmakers. I think, yeah. you know, again, their film, The Endless, was a I'll watch that kind one. of cool sort of peripherally time travel but not yeah. really they did give um, me like a sense that like i do like what they're doing and and it's very interesting i do find a lot of times when you're dealing with two directors like things kind of get muddy because you can tell totally see that like one's pulling one way one's pulling another way mm-hmm. and i felt that a little bit in this you know like with the with dennis being such a not really fulfilled character mm-hmm. and um Mackie kind of just being like two characters of being sad and then scientific, you know, like, like mm-hmm, there wasn't, mm-hmm. there was, there was a, there was a, there wasn't so much of a base to him. There wasn't so much depth to Mackie's either. I felt like the characters were not that deep, but interesting. If that it makes sense. I think that the, we definitely could have gotten a bit more backstory about Steve's right. family Right. Uh, I think that they maybe that maybe that existed in some version of the script or maybe it was shot and it just didn't work for the pacing of the film. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why these things tend to be, you know, in the uh, commentary. Removed. They talked about the scene where he goes back and there's like a, that voodoo gathering. Remember? Remember that scene? Yeah. The 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 slaves performing their religious ceremony. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in the commentary, they talked about we had it in one part of the script, but then we lost it where they they uh, kind of they showcase that they were not chasing him to harm him. They were chasing him because they were idolizing him as a as this kind of like being from another something, you know. So that was very interesting to see that. that I think I think I sort of picked up on that. I didn't really feel like in that scene he was in danger. I mean, he perceived it as danger because well, he was why in danger wouldn't too you? That he had to get back or he would get <gasps> stuck there. Yes, he had to get back, but I think I didn't perceive the actions of, of those the, uh, the, of, of the slaves, you know, as being harmful towards right. him. I think you're right. They were just trying to figure out where did this person come from? What is, what is happening? What, you wearing these what? future clothes? <laughs> I mean, that's what they should have done. What are the moccasins you got on? What's that say? BK? (laughs) What'd you jump ship? (laughs) What's with the life preserver? (laughs) Exactly. Um, Out of, uh, I I, I don't know if we've we've delved into this, but I have a um, rating system on how I I would uh, like to try to uh, adopt this show. 
Sure. Is it flux capacitors or DeLoreans? I wish it was flux capacitors or DeLoreans. Okay. My my, so my old thing is how much, if you were going to go see this in the theater, how much mm-hmm. would you pay to go see this movie? So if a, if a maxed out was $10, how much would you pay to go see this movie? I think that's sort of in this age of the death of theaters and, you know, the existence of things like movie pass or AMC stubs. It's hard to quantify that. Sure. Um, I would say having seen the endless, which I did see in theaters, Hmm. uh, that was in the era of movie pass. So whatever year I had movie pass was the year I saw the endless. I probably saw saw more movies in a theater that year than any other year. Yeah. Uh, Having seen the endless, I pay the 10 bucks. You, you know, again, I, yeah, I think that, you know, I, I look, I will always defer to filmmakers who are trying to do something unique and outside of kind of the, the, the norm, especially indie directors, you know, it's so easy to just kind of do even with indie films, do a sort of little paint by numbers. Yeah. Here is something where Benson and Moorhead really, they try to do something different and try to de- tell a different kind of story. Yeah. And okay. having, having that, I would just say, like, That's it's big. worth supporting that in the theater. Yeah. No, totally. I would I would go see that for $7. I wouldn't $7. pay the full price. Okay. I'd go see it for $7. But so you'd see, like, an early bird matinee. Yeah, I'd see an early bird matinee. Those are, like, um, 30% off in right. my theater. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And then it's not like I would go. You remember those movie theaters where you'd pay, like, $2 to go see a movie? Yeah, the second would, runs. The second runs, yeah. It's, I would see it on a first R.I.P. run. R.I.P. But maybe during the day, I will say this though: Brooklyn uh, Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn has started a movie pass again, where uh, thirty dollars a month you can see all the movies you want to see, which is pretty good. Thirty dollars a month is like you go see two movies yeah. and you're done for the month, you know. That's that's what I got the AMC thing for. You yeah. know, it's twenty twenty bucks, twenty five bucks a month. If we and, you promote know, you this see- enough, maybe they'll sponsor us. Oh yeah, that would be pretty good, right? Stubbs, Stubbs members, yeah, unite. Go see movies there. Go see movies. Just go see movies, people. Yeah, go go see save movies. the theaters, and go see movies that are interesting. Don't just go to the Spider Mans. Don't just go see you know the Uncharted. Just don't don't just go see Tom Holland. You know, I mean, don't just, just go, go for just don't don't go, go for just Holland. to see don't go just to see Tom Holland. Go he's to, so to, adorable. To, he's so adorable. You know. Sometimes heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Um, little Tom Holland. I will Tom Holland. Tom Holland and uh, what? Well, we're not going to get into Tom Holland because he doesn't no. do time travel movies. Really, I mean, I guess you could kind of argue. Spider Man was Endgame and, Endgame and Spider Man both have little multiverse yeah, moments and time we travel. Let's get into that. Well, maybe another time, but we we'll, no, we no, gotta, we, you know, Marvel has enough attention. They we do can, have we enough can, attention. We can, I want us to try to focus on if some we get to the point where movies. we get sponsorship and they want us to do it, I will do it. That's all I'm, I'm not. I'm not just gonna, you know, write a, 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 a fluff piece though. I'm not gonna no. speak a fluff piece for Marvel. No. I'll yeah. say that. I mean, you gave one. You gave a fluffy piece to Snacky, though. I'll tell you that much. Oh, I mean, he is just great. He, he is, is really just great. great. I like to see him in roles like this, other than doing. Like, oh yes, like, I love seeing him in something that he's isn't a, a mark. Oh, he's such a good actor. Yeah. I love seeing him in stuff that isn't, you know. Yeah. Marvel. The reason I gave it uh, seven, I would pay seven dollars out of ten, is that I really didn't feel like his character was 
all that it could be. And, the, and that's where mm. I felt like there was a lot of scenes where he was just like sitting there and you could just see like, I felt like he was like, guys, you got to give me more direction on this character. And, and that's where, that's where I kind of dipped a little for me where mm. he just kind of was like, give me some more to work with, with this character and I will knock it out of the park. But like, I, you, I feel like I'm, I'm a little less than full on him, but it still worked for me. It still worked. Okay. <laughs> we should. You should go to Anthony's bar. Anthony. Oh wait, it's oh. closed. Oh, wait, he had a bar in Bed Stuy. Oh. And he had one in Williamsburg called No Bar, but I guess they all closed. Ugh. God damn it. The past fucking sucks, man. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. <laughs> all right, uh, that sums up this show. That's a great show. Right? I think yeah. we're good. Yeah. All right, so everyone go, uh, you know, I'm assuming you stopped at the beginning, watched Synchronic, and then came, uh, back, came back to us. But if you didn't, yeah, just just give it a shot. I mean, it's give Netflix. It you paid for it already. It's it's a 96-minute movie. Yeah, it's very you short. Know, I like that. I really, yeah, it, really you know, like I, yes, it had, a, you know, I will say this. The, the pacing was good in this film. I didn't feel like there were parts where it dragged too much. Uh, I think that the overall... It was just, uh, in that respect, it was yeah. a well-written script. I will say this to the directors themselves, if they ever do listen to this. Make more hour-and-a-half movies. Just, oh, I love an hour-and-a-half yes. movie. Just yes. give me an hour-and-a-half movie. I love I swear. It. I swear. I saw, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like a good long movie, but they we don't need every don't. movie to be three hours. No, we do not. Especially a movie like this, where you can be in and out an hour-and-a-half, get exactly what you need, and like still be thought provoked enough to like enjoy it. There. Yeah. I think there's also something to be said for uh, a lot of the sort of mini series now that are kind of, that's the thing now is this prestige TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, limited series. Man, a lot of those could just be a good two hour movie. Yeah. I think. Totally. Definitely. I mean, I know HBO is yeah. trying to just get as much content made, but like just make a movie, make a movie, man. Just don't, make a movie. Don't, yeah. Don't need to make me a TV show. It's fine. We don't need a TV show. Just make a movie. <laughs> sucks, man. I know, Maggie. Man, right, that'll, that'll all do right. it for us. Um, we got to pick next week's, or uh, I, I wish, I hope that's the case. We should choose. Yeah, a yeah. Movie. Who are you thinking? Stay tuned. Stay tuned, folks. Yes. Man, fucking sucks, man.